every single marketer and every single brand should be attempting to earn a disproportionate share of conversation. If you work for an organization where they say, bring us a chart that goes up and to the right, you have a challenge. Half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. The trouble is, I don't know which half. I am here to inspire you, to excite you, to motivate you, to transform you, to energize you. Hello and welcome to Demand Gen Visionaries. This episode features an interview with Sarah Kennedy, Vice President of Global Growth and Demand at Google Cloud. Prior to Google, Sarah led multiple marketing transformations as CMO of Marketo and as CMO for the enterprise software divisions at Adobe and Sabre. On this episode, Sarah discusses the marketing efficiencies and ROI drivers she's anchored her career around, how to navigate the macro mindset shift that every marketing team goes through, and why being a career catalyst for your customers is the most rewarding impact a B2B marketer can have. But before we get into it, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Qualified.com. If you are a B2B marketer who has always dreamed of knowing when a qualified prospect is on your site and being able to talk to them instantly, now you can. Learn more at Qualified.com. And now please enjoy this interview between Sarah Kennedy, Vice President of Global Growth and Demand at Google Cloud, and your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Demand Gen Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios, and today we are joined by a very special guest. Sarah, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining. Super excited. As we are chatting about before this, you know, here at Caspian, we're huge... Um, Google fans. We uh, were kind of the born in the cloud kind of a company. We were G Suite everything, uh, which I know now is we have, we got new tabs on our computers. We got all this stuff. And I know it's been a crazy year for you all. So super exciting to get into all that. But before we do, what was your first job in demand gen? Oh, wow. Probably before I even knew it was demand gen, frankly. But I've always worked in marketing and spent my time early days at an ad agency that introduced me to B2B, went back to grad school and then went to a company called Sabre where I ended up running email marketing for our media business. And frankly, that was probably my first foray into demand gen. And then actively knowing it was demand gen and calling it and building a demand gen team. A few years later at Sabre, I was uh, building and and helping run the hospitality SaaS business. So we basically sold e-commerce software and other types of software to um, hotel chains all over the world. And it was the first time I'd also purchased marketing automation software and then built a demand gen team around that. First time I was measuring, you know, leads and pipeline and all the contribution to sales that obviously has evolved a lot over the last many years. But that was probably, gosh, that last job was in 2013-ish, I would say. And so obviously, you know, you've worked at some of the absolute top companies in both marketing and technology, Marketo, Adobe, and now at Google. So tell me about your current role. Well, it's an exciting, exciting time, obviously, to be a part of any cloud business. But at Google, I run all of our now what is a a bit of a new global demand center, as well as our digital teams. And that includes all of our web and um, basically digital assets, digital experiences across the board, as well as our growth marketing team. And that's to support both Google Cloud Platform and Google Workspace, formerly known as G Suite. I know I got to get my language straight here. (laughs) Well, I mean, <laughs> it's new. We just we just rebranded uh, G Suite to Workspace. And frankly, it's not just a rebrand. It's more around 
you know, we're, we're trying to change and simplify the way people get work done. And so there's, you know, a lot of opportunity there, especially in a year like this, as you mentioned, with companies like yours that are digital natives, always been born in the cloud, raised in the cloud, built in the cloud. So for us, it's been an exciting year to think about that. And where we're headed next is really indicative of the new name. Let's get into our first segment, the trust tree. With the knowledge you've been given, you are now on the inside of what I like to call the circle of trust. What, I thought we were in the trust tree in the nest, are we not? This is where you can feel honest and trusted, and you can share those deepest, darkest demand-gen secrets. To start off, what is your demand-gen strategy? Yeah, so right now for us, interestingly, Google Cloud is in a position to be really impactful, I think, just the overall, overall cloud landscape. But we are relatively new to the game compared to some of the other more established players. And so right now we're focusing a whole lot on, of our demand gen strategy, number one, on new logo acquisition into enterprise customers. But the really cool thing, and part of why, frankly, I joined Google was the product itself and even just the accessibility and the usability of cloud technology. It's just not been there, frankly, when Google has that. And the free trial motion that has been a huge part of our demand gen strategy, it used to be, you know, and maybe other companies and other businesses, it's, it's kind of all about getting into SMB and individual users. For us, it's actually a huge driver of that enterprise motion because typically there's, whether it's consultants, whether it's developers or others, they're actually wanting to put their hands on the technology first and really just test it out, drive, you know, see how much horsepower it has. And we use that pretty aggressively as a part of our demand gen motion. Yeah, totally. You know, I think that there's probably this misconception out there that when you work in a company like Google, obviously massive organization, all sorts of different things going on that, you know, oh, well, they company X, they have all the resources in the world. They have all that sort of stuff. I know you're not that kind of marketer. So when you came into this role and you saw that and you said, okay, well, how do we do this the way that you know, not to say the same plays that you used to run or, or things like that, but how do we do this a new way, the right way, and build with that same type of kind of edge you you had in, in being marketing leaders at, at other uh, companies? Yeah. So I really have anchored the last probably five years of my career around something that maybe doesn't sound sexy, but it's really important. It's number one, marketing efficiency and ROI and just the way you drive impact to a business. That is part of the playbook that I've brought to really my last two jobs. But I would say the zooming out actually from that, like the macro mindset shift that every marketing team goes through and that we're going through at Google is every single dollar, every person, every minute we spend, ultimately, whether indirect or direct, drives demand and drives growth for the business at the end of the day. And I think, you know, often you get in a company where a lot of the success has been born out of maybe B2C brand building, et cetera. And it's really important, especially if you're coming into a new space and a new landscape, but still all of those investments drive demand. And I think bringing that together and not, not having people view brand as one thing and demand as another, they all interplay with one another, I think, to drive growth. Uh, so that's been part of the mindset shift that I've been driving um, really in my last five years, including at Google now. Yeah, it's so funny. This is kind of a new wave. You know, because it's honestly, it's very similar to the conversation that we had with Julie from Slack, where, you know, you have these companies that have been built, these technology companies that have such a strong market motion in never touch a salesperson, right? 
like, you know, Ian at Caspian never talked to a salesperson, never probably going to talk to a salesperson until, you know, for years and years later. And then hopefully it's not me who's the one talking to them. Not that, you know, I love my good friends in sales, but, but the idea though, that like, this is a different thing. This is a changing of how things have been done with this kind of bottom up approach. And to come in with someone like you who spent so much time in MarTech, you have, you know exactly the levers to push from a demand gen perspective, how to get those teams kind of tracking. Like, how do you think about changing into that enterprise kind of mindset? Yeah, I think to your point, like MarTech is foundational to everything every successful marketing team does and will do for the next decade. And how you use it is so key. It's not just... It's not just a one size fits all and there's not just a basic stack. Everyone is using the same way for the same purposes. It's all about coming into a business like this and really digging in and understanding companies like Google who, you know, technology is, is we, we've defined it for decades, frankly, and knowing how many engineers have been focused on solving problems at Google. There's a lot of really interesting things that have been built that were built even before some of the MarTech solutions out there were in existence. And so balancing that and thinking about the strategy for how do you scale into the enterprise and how do you leverage a lot of that goodness and some of those in-house, you know, homegrown solutions, but pairing that with other tools like Marketo that we use at Google, fortunately. Um, It's for us, it's been a really interesting journey to go on and help also the sales organization and the sales systems and the sales tech stack, the rev tech stack, I guess, if you will, behind the scenes really get to a place where we can drive scale for a business that is new and is going to have to go at a a pace that's 2x that of our competitors um, to surpass and leapfrog them. So I view MarTech as an accelerant to that in every enterprise business. Um, But it's also interesting because companies like ours that have been so successful with what we call that untouched motion or self-serve motion, it's a whole new world, especially even in this year and every year, frankly, for the last few increasingly, we all know the buyer's journey is changing and we know their level of desire to speak with a human changes based on who they are, what persona they are, frankly, where they are in their buying journey. And so figuring out when they want to engage, how they want to engage, it's really nice to have every lever, frankly, to pull on that, whether that be through optimizing our free trials for exactly what their use case and their need is and allowing them to be met where they are in different channels and having that kind of engagement interaction be at the core of our strategy and how we design content, how we go to market, how we drive demand end to end. For me, that's all about how we think about moving up into the enterprise, but we've already really been there. It's just actually bridging some of the strengths across really our our SMB strength and that scaled motion with where we've had success in the enterprise and bringing it together to scale it. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's a great point. It's like you've already been in enterprise, but that doesn't mean that the motion that you got there was one that was architected by marketing, right? Exactly. It's more like if it's deal heroics and amazing salespeople, which frankly, that was part of why I chose to join Google. A a big factor in every decision I make with where I go is, is the sales organization, are they already investing? Do they understand what it means? to sell into the enterprise? And is that already in a good place? And frankly, that's like the, that's the hardest thing to solve for. You can be the best marketer in the world, but if you don't have a strong sales force to hand things off to, you know, oftentimes it's all for naught. And in this case, it was more so the sales team had been aggressively investing in getting ready, basically be, being not just enterprise ready, but being ready to scale and grow and compete. And they just needed a marketing engine behind it to help that scale happen. Yeah, it's exciting. And it's something that 
I'm curious, you know, over the years, Google has had this extremely strong engineering culture. And I would say the vast majority of people don't know Google for the ads that they've run on the Super Bowl. They don't know it for maybe the events that they've run. They don't know it for, you know, some of these kind of traditional demand gen motions. I'm curious, like, you know, as you come into this role, you know all the playbooks, you have all this stuff. What are you looking at in terms of, you know, how to reach these different personas, the different markets that you're going after and and positioning, you know, Google for those folks? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, there's actually been, so this marketing team has been built over really the last four to five years under Allison Wagenfeld, who I work for now, and I'm thrilled to, she's an amazing CMO. And it was like a team of four or five, I think, out of the gate on day one. And, and it's now, you can imagine, significantly larger than that. And for us to really start to look across the board this last year, the reason actually I even started engaging with Allison about this role was she and I were just sharing war stories about how we were pivoting our mega conferences at Adobe and Google, knowing she was a one of the largest customers of Marketo at the time. And we were just, you know, brainstorming, how are you going to do this? And we had to actually go first at Adobe because our just date happenstance, it was at the end of March, right after some of the the shutdowns started to occur. And we had three weeks to figure it out. She had a couple more months than we did. And so we just were brainstorming on what what are you going to do here? How are you going to do this? What, you know, what tech stack are you having to use for that? And frankly, the way that I was, it was interesting because I I got to, you know, help lead that and, and do that pivot at Adobe and right as I was joining uh, Google was when they were in the middle of their last three-week sprint to do that pivot. And I saw so much interesting, um, I think, just evidence of the culture of Google in that process and how fast they had pivoted and learned and gotten smarter, even by watching others for the two months prior. The pivot to all digital really this year for them was fascinating in the you know thousands and thousands of events that they were running in the field that pivoted to digital we've now started to do a bit of a retrospective on and say, hey, what was actually successful this year? Um, because a lot of companies just did that. They took, you know, they have a sales team that's, you know, concerned that they're not going to be able to get in front of customers and have the same meetings. So event volumes were spiking in terms of just more and more webinars, more and more messages flooding the market through the exact same channel and squeezing through the same pipe to get your message out where it got noisier and noisier. And I think this year, um, what we learned was really where there's a ton of horsepower inside of the, the team in terms of digital marketing and in the digital engine, but figuring out where to place our bets and where to focus versus how much volume we can do is actually where we're now thinking about that pivot going into 2021. Because frankly, and as you can appreciate in your business, um, less is more many times and you want to have exclusivity, but content absolutely has to be at a bar that is you know, far above and beyond what we've seen, I think a lot of companies sort of throw out in the market this year. And I also think there's something interesting about, I mean, the Google magic is everywhere and the brand itself and just the the history of this company is so amazing. How we think about that in the enterprise space is even more critical than ever before, because we're not trying to be the same as anyone in the cloud landscape. We're trying to be very different. We're trying to be simpler, easier to work with, faster, just to get things done for our customers. And for us to think about how that translates into the way we engage with them, it's got to show up. That brand promise has to show up in in the way that we design 
and orchestrate a journey and the way that we even produce things as tactical as a webinar, you've got to feel that simplicity in every single conversation or engagement or touch that we have with you. So that's how we're thinking about that pivot going into next year. And we're in the middle, frankly, of a lot of that planning as we speak. Yeah, totally. I mean, seeing that from the rooftops, I, I mean, I feel the exact same way. It's just like, I think that, you know, similar to the way that we saw with blogs, once we saw that, okay, well, everybody has a blog and now everybody, well, okay, you actually get a little bit better engagement if you post every day. Okay, well, what if we post three times a day? It's like, okay, well, now we can't do that in-house, so let's outsource this to somebody else. Okay, now let's write, you know, get someone to who can do it cheaper? Okay, now we're doing $10 a day articles. We're publishing it three times a day on our blog. And it's this like race to garbage that like happened that it's just like everybody like like, disease of more, like just more and more and more and more and more stuff. And you're like, can we just slow down for two seconds? And like, does any of this actually move the needle like at all? (laughs) Every interaction, every second that you consume of someone's attention, especially now is you have to quantify the value of what you're, you're bringing. It's not just, you know, catching their attention. I mean, minutes are precious. I think we all now know in 2020, it's like even just the extra happy hour at night, you're, you're taking away time from people's families. So if you think about, you know, things you actually want to do versus things that are maybe more difficult to engage your audience in, you've got to think about the trade-offs they're making in their time and where that comes from. It's very different this year, I think, than ever before. So that makes the bar even it should be higher. It always should have been this high. But I think this year we're actually seeing that come to fruition. And I and I like that. I think that's great for all marketers and every customer we serve. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. The bar is uh should have been that high. And I think, you know, I've talked about this in the past on the show, but I think we just so often get to be committed to our content calendar instead of our customers. We want to make what's easy for us to make rather than what we kind of just should be doing. And you know, I think events were that way and everything, you know, everything re- needs a redesign, you know, and that's just, that's just the way it is. You know, the first Dreamforce is not the same as it is, you know, uh, you know, every year in and out or, or whatever it is like, you know, and, and, and that's just, it's something that we need to continue to evolve. So I, I'm curious then you have, all of these new accounts that you're looking at of all different shapes and sizes, you know, everything from, I'm sure your, your Baylor bears, uh, you know, are they on workspace? Can we get them on? Yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, through all the way to uh, a bunch of, you know, named accounts, I'm sure that you're going after. How are you thinking about, you know, the personas that you're looking at Are are they, what is the ideal customer persona look like for you all right now? Yeah, actually, and I would say just from an account level before even in the personas, I think, you know, ideal for us, there's a lot of areas where um, we're really making great headway and seeing a lot of value exchange in our relationships. And that's coming through industries like retail, um, fintech, finserve, healthcare, manufacturing, um, and media and entertainment across the board. But I there there is one that is it's not really like an industry, but we think about um, we think about it that way, which are digital natives like born in the cloud. And that's just software and tech and many people's, you know, industry language, the way they, you know, tag things. But it's actually much more than that is thinking about where some of those companies are in their life cycle, what, you know, series they're at in their journey of investment. And then what does that actually mean for who they who they are, what they actually care about at that point in time, what then what their needs are. And how we how we serve them, and I think that's also for us. It's it's a balance, right? Like we've got very large and very 
very valuable customers that are at that top end of the enterprise scale who are more traditional and in traditional industries. Um, and then we have others like these digital natives where the sales cycle is shorter. They're actually, you know, a little more like a, a smaller SaaS type um, sales cycle, which I'm obviously used to from my past. Um, and the way that they want to engage, where they want to engage, how they buy is really, um, it's really different in some ways. And then the job titles, even, you know, that you're thinking about going after, like the decisions that a CTO makes in a company like that, if they even have a CTO yet, most of the time they do, or it's the CEO, how do we think about their needs at that point in time on their journey and where they are? And then, you know, out of that group, if you're serving all of them well, frankly, you know, then becomes the unicorns that turn into those, what maybe our future enterprise traditional account might be, you know, 20 years from now. But the the interesting thing within that, certainly we serve IT uh, across the board and we think about IT decision makers and what does that mean? It's as specific as like the VP of network engineering. I mean, I'm learning a whole lot about every layer of that. And I'm used to obviously also serving the marketer and the marketing function. What's interesting is all of that is intersecting in every business. Like cloud isn't just an IT decision anymore. It's all about how or how is that organization and that function actually collaborating with its business partners. And so that's really fun for me is starting to think about how do you bring those people inside of a, an account together? And how do you bridge that conversation when maybe it's not happening as naturally, but where could we deliver value? Um, and so we've acquired actually a few different businesses that um, like Looker, I don't know if you're familiar with, but uh, yeah, so Looker and then Apogee, obviously even before that, um, as well as uh, AppSheet, which is our no-code, low-code um, app dev tool. And it's really interesting because I'm like looking at, you know, the users of that and the people that are out there actually trying to find ways to get value out of data in a much more consumable way. So it, it opens up the door with, you know, new investments like that for us to start to bring value realization kind of at an earlier stage with some of those business partners, while I'm also in parallel having constant conversations with IT. So obviously the CIO is always important to us will forever be. But I think helping the CIO bridge the gap with their business partners is a really big opportunity for us as we go forward. Yeah. And marketing to those folks is is really different. And that's the thing that's, you know, so interesting about this stuff is like, you know, IT is such a facility. They're the point guard, right? I don't know who the Baylor Bears point guard is right now, but Davion it's Mitchell. like, yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, but that's, I mean, it's just not how it was. And obviously we talk to CIOs all the time. We have a, another podcast for CIOs and, and, and we talk to them all the time. But it, the crazy thing is like their role has changed so unbelievably much. You know, they used to be the, uh, the person who's booking the flights for the basketball team and now they're on the court, right? So it's, uh, it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> It's great. It's a good analogy. Yeah, I'm just letting them rip today. But it's such a it's such a different thing. But when you're selling to the business units, it's totally different. And I want I want to get into that a little bit. Let's go to our next segment, the playbook. This is what's great about sports. This is what the greatest thing about sports is. You play to win the game. Hello, you play to win the game. This is where you open up that playbook and talk about the tactics that help you win. Now, these could be things that you're working on now, or they could just be from other roles. Um, do you have three channels or tactics that are your uncuttable budget items? I mean, free trial and web, just how we use that. As a, it should always be not even you know specific to a segment, but SMB all the way up to enterprise. The you know our, our home base plays that role to help either educate, inform, and progress deals or actually 
convert. In many cases, developers who, by the way, I didn't mention, and I should, it's one of the most important personas, but biggest part of that buying decision is happening now with developer preference driving at almost half of some of these companies' decision-making. Because if you don't want people passionate about Google Cloud and you know using it already today, certified in it, it's a lot more difficult to make a decision about investing for the long haul. So that's really where we're focused a lot in driving developer engagement through that channel is big, big for us. You know, I would say also social is always and forever important. It's just changing what that actually means and how you leverage it. And I, um, that for us is there's been, I mean, the following across all channels where Google has played is significant, right? But strategically investing there and leveraging that is um, a big opportunity for us and probably everyone because that continues to evolve. And then maybe some of the tried and true, but more boring channels or tactics. Content Sin is forever and always, it's still a high performer for us as we're trying to drive new, at least new name acquisition. And it's a big part of our new logo acquisition motion. It is for most companies in our position. Um, It's just making sure you're partnering with the right partners to drive quality because that varies widely partner to partner. What about some stuff that maybe is your most cuttable budget item or something that you, you know, you've tried over the years that you've tried to make it work and you just can't figure it out yet? This is one that's probably even unfair to mention because it's not cuttable to me. It's actually bread and butter, but most companies would view this as cuttable and it's just, you know, advocacy and customer marketing. It is the foundation I mean, of what Marketo's entire business wouldn't have existed without advocacy marketing. Like it just wouldn't have. And that was not my doing. That was something that I joked when I came in. My only job was to not screw that up, frankly, and to keep investing my time there. That community ended up being the single most influential factor in my success and Marketo's success, frankly, over those next two years. And that's the Marketo Champions community, a little shout out for them. But that for me has always been the most important investment. But Marketo was honestly it's a rare company that had made the choice to do that and was strategically invested there. Most companies cut customer marketing first, except this year. And that was the interesting pivot, I think, for everyone was seeing that all of a sudden retention mattered. So if there was some business outcome, everyone was urgently clamoring for um, customer marketing actually pulls that lever, but it's often in the shadows of new logo and acquisition, just from an investment point of view in a typical year. So I think for a lot of marketers now, this is the year that we've had the opportunity to flex our muscles with customer marketing and advocacy. And I'm hoping that will continue because it is so critical. And now I'm in a business that we're trying to drive not only acquisition of new customers, but products like usage and consumption and adoption. And that is part of our business model. So as we think about that, there's there are more direct levers there. So I would say that's maybe used to be a cuttable area. And it's even I admittedly, when we would have to beg, borrow, and steal from different parts of the team, we would never cut that entirely. But it's one where because the the value and the story we told to sales was always the, the most difficult in that area to be able to prove out the value, especially to even the CFO, that I do think that's always an area where we end up cutting. But that's the biggest mistake that most companies made going into this year. So now we're hopefully correcting that. Oh, it's a great answer. I mean, um, you know, when we when we talked to, to Chandar about Marketing Nation, when he was CMO Marketo, he was like, people were buying the software to be part of Marketing Nation because they want, it wasn't just the software, it was to be in the community. Like 50,000 people had listed Marketo on their LinkedIn profile in some way, shape or form as a part of touting who they are and what they bring value-wise. Like that alone, I'm just like, oh, that was that was a thing of beauty to see. And you can't, 
it's hard to quantify the value of that, right? But but you really can. If you now with all the Martech capabilities we have, you actually can track that. So it's almost. I mean, I thank him. I la- the only thing I would give uh, Chandra a hard time about is the hashtag, which is always too long. <laughs> but for marketing, but other than that, it was amazing. I, I was very appreciative to have inherited that. Well, you, and and I think it just speaks to like this kind of like holy grail that we seek as marketers to like build a community of people that actually care. And yet we spend so little time actually cultivating that community of people who care, right? And it, and it speaks to the customer advocacy piece, because I think it's just something that we just don't necessarily, you know, invest in. And we, we you know, we deal with this a lot of times when we're creating podcasts in the same sort of way. It's like, you know, don't you want your customers on shows talking about, it doesn't matter if they're talking about your products or not. Like if your customers are winning out there, if your if your buyers are winning, whatever the heck they're winning about, you want them talking about it. Because invariably when somebody comes across them and sees their logo on your website and their testimonial, they're like, wait a second, I, that's, you know, I know that thing. And I think it's something that you have to be intentional about and you have to put budget behind it. Otherwise you're just kind of like, you know, guessing. And at least time, right? Like putting people time and, and people who care. And I think that was the one thing that Adobe has taken on and invested in. They've actually extended the champions program now to Adobe Analytics and kind of it's the first extension of that because the customer advocacy team at Marketo is now the customer advocacy team for all of sure. Adobe Experience Cloud, which is cool to see. Um, and shout out to that team because they're amazing. But I think the the interesting piece about where, you know, even at Google Cloud, the analog for me is obviously our developer community and where we invest there. It's even, you know, it's just being a career catalyst for a customer is one thing that I always say is my primary primary goal. And if we see them that get promoted or we see, you know, somebody get that next job because of the decision they made to bet on us, whether that was at Marketo in my past or at Google in my current, that's the reward of any marketer's career, I, I have to imagine, at least in B2B. And it's the biggest reward that you can walk away from a career and look back on and say, wow, I really impacted, you know, hundreds of people's livelihoods by making sure that I clearly communicated to them and invested in them what the value was of our partnership. And I delivered on that. And I think that's a really, for me, it's a a motivating way to look at the career of any B2B marketer. I love that career catalyst. I wrote it down. That's a brilliant insight. And I think that that's why it's so important to tell those stories to get that snapshot in time, right? Because you're like, hey, this person was a director when we when we had we have a case study of them as a director at company X. Now they're the VP of company Y and they spend three times more money with us. Like how important was it that we cultivated a relationship, you know, back then uh, and, and told those stories? And I, I've actually thought about too the, you know, we creatively experimented with <laughs> the idea of first year CMOs, you know, how do you, how do you make the, the risk, how do you take away risk for them, right? If they're betting their career on you and you know, and we have full confidence that, you know, a product that we're bringing to them is actually going to make them successful, but their job, you know, is so difficult and they have so much scrutiny. How do we take the risk and the burden off of them in that year one? And how do we follow them obviously from job to job? Because when you're successful, people bring you with them, whether it be people, whether it be tech, whether it be processes, like it goes with them. And so um, following that journey for them as individuals, not just obviously as one person across an account only at that point in time in that one company is really important for us in every, every frankly, business or company or function. I love that. I have on our roadmap, I've had that an exact kind of content thought about this idea of like first 90 days. Actually, funny enough, years ago, I interviewed Chandar, funny enough, about first 90 days as being a CMO. (laughs) 
so and it was great. such a compelling piece of content. I'm like, we should, do a, we should do just a series on this. But the, it's such an important point because that time is a really information-heavy, vulnerable time for people when they're first in a role. Yes. So they're yes. seeking out information specific to like, how have people done this that are good? It's part of the reason why we put CMOs and senior leaders on this show to talk about demand gen, because we want the people who are so good at demand gen that they got promoted, you know, sort of a thing. Right, right. But it's, yeah, that's such a, it's such a, uh, a needy time. And that's what you want as a marketer. When people are needy, you want to be the one that that's there for them, helping them. It's so right. I've always, it's such a great way to put it because I've always thought, you know, we sell into the pain, it would be nice to sell before the pain gets there, right? Yeah, great point. Yeah. To predict the pain. And when it, you're in pain, you write a bigger check, frankly. <laughs> and I, I made that joke at Marketo and I was like, because I was in pain, right? In my first six months, we had a lot of a lot of things to turn around and improve or change. And that pain created a catalyst for me being willing to do unnatural things, frankly, to spend my way out of it, if that was a possible option, you know? And I think it would be nice to get to people and to get to your customer, your buyer before they're at that point, frankly. So predicting that, obviously, we've got more and more intelligence and MarTech tools that get us there actually now with intent data, et cetera. But there's there's just so much more we can do that I, I love the idea, though, of making the pain go away is what we exist to do. So. <laughs> So you have a new website, workspace.google.com, and I'm curious, how do you view your website? Oh, goodness. Well, we've also got cloud.google.com. So we have two different websites, and I've got an amazing partner, um, Kelly Walder, actually, who just joined a few months before I did, who's VP of marketing for all of Workspace. And we collaborate together. So I am responsible for driving demand, and he's responsible for taking that demand from you know page zero all the way through the life cycle of a customer's journey. And we're right now, you know, the thing that we have the opportunity to do, I will say, is really invest in optimizing the personalization across all of our all of our digital properties and not even just our websites, but how we think about the digital event experience and how we thread all of that together, as well as through communities that we either have or may invest in, et cetera, like that end to end journey. We've just really started to scratch the surface around and I think, too, we've been so, frankly, good. I can say the people before me were good <laughs> at driving conversion with the self-serve motion, both for workspace, certainly through the individual apps, as well as the collective portfolio that we're now bringing to market. And now they've learned that, they've applied it for our Google Cloud platform as well. But figuring out how we actually educate and inform and are surgically personalizing the journey of a, of a VP of network engineering who's, you know, at stage three in the sales cycle and actually needs a certain set of information. How does our website serve their needs? And how do we think about that even, you know, maybe for a, a, a director of IT who's making a decision about workspace and they're at stage two, for example. I mean, that's the kind of thing we're thinking through now is how do we provide information of value that helps people make better decisions faster? Uh, and how does our website make that possible more easily. And we're on a journey there for sure um, across really both parts of our business. But Kelly is a rock star. He, he did a lot of things at a lot of familiar name companies prior to joining Google. So he's got the best experience probably in the business to be the guy who's my partner in crime to, to do that. So you have obviously a bunch of experience creating demand. And I'm curious, for a first-time demand person, for that first-time demand gen leader or a CMO who's trying to figure out demand, 
maybe doesn't have as much experience in it. Any insights or any tips that you would have for those folks? Yeah, I think um, whatever you do, start first with your first priority being your relationship with sales. And assuming you have a sales force, right? Most people in a demand gen job do. I have found that no matter how much investment, energy, creative tactics, whatever you have, if you have not aligned with your sales counterparts on what the true objectives are and co-authored and co-signed up for any targets that you're going to hit together, it really doesn't matter what you do. And I, I would say, if you aren't already doing that, that's where you begin and end because that relationship and that accountability and that alignment is um, it's the foundation for all success. It also allows you to make better decisions together for the business with their input because you think through things more intentionally around where can my demand gen team and my investment actually complement and supplement where the sales team has either strengths or gaps. And where there's gaps, that's where we fill them. Not necessarily us all going toward the easiest or highest ROI you know, segment audience persona. We've got to actually create a balance for an engine that can drive growth and scale that growth. And so I think that partnership is... That served me well as focusing there in my career, and I, I will never change that. But I make the joke with my team, like cheesy or not, our job is to be, yes, like career catalysts for our customers. But I joke that our second but equally important objective is to be comma catalysts for our quota carriers. And all I want to do is put M's in their bank account every day of the week. And if I do that, I've succeeded. And so I think having that mindset that we're responsible for their livelihood frankly, is the right approach mentally as a marketer, because that makes you, I think that makes you focus on the right things and make better decisions that also end up better serving your customers as well. Let's get to our next segment, the dust up. Uh-oh, here comes trouble. You may have heard that there was a dust up involving yours truly. And now we've got a wild scrum with fights breaking out all over the place. And it is getting This is where we talk about healthy tension, whether that's with your board, your sales team, your competitors, or just anyone else. Have you had a famous dust up in your career? Oh, famous. Um, you know, interestingly, I had probably both the best relationship and not, I wouldn't say the worst. I would say I had the most dust ups where I've had the best relationship, which was with the CFO at Marketo. <laughs> And I love him dearly. We text weekly still. And he ironically was the CFO at Sabre before uh, when I was an intern at Sabre for my first like two years there. And I, you know, never really got to interact with him. He was way high up and very fancy. But we got to Marketo and it was interesting because we both, I had been raised in his finance organization is how I put it, like without him being directly, you know, my boss or my leader, I was brought up in a world at Sabre where Mark Miller's finance regime was what I knew and what I knew how to execute on and how as a marketer to actually succeed in that environment and to be scrappy as hell in everything we do. And I think for us, we came in the door and we had a PE firm and an owner that was high pressure on the phone with him every day, right? And how do you get Marketo to profitability and how do you drive that and how do you get it to a place where the business can be sold? And so we were having this constant tension. My, my second week on the job, he put three post-it notes on the wall with three different numbers of what he needed me to go back to my team and figure out how to hit for my budget drop for the next year while still delivering the same amount of pipeline value. And so that was, I took the first bottom sticky note off the wall <laughs> and I said, that one's not an option. Thank you very much. Um, I said, this one's doable at the top, the middle one, I need a couple of weeks and I'll let you know. So that was um, our first, it wasn't the dust up, but we had 
many scenarios where we were debating, especially going into probably the last four months before we sold the business, how we were going to set ourselves up for success, not knowing we were going to sell the business, frankly, at that time. And it was all about year two growth for me and my role as CMO. And it was us needing to actually amp back up our investment, ironically, in customer advocacy and, and customer marketing and making sure that, I mean, I was debating a lot with him around like ramp seller productivity and where we were spending our dollars and why, why we were putting so much more into sales than we were in marketing. And I think we got into like a screaming match in the middle of our lobby at Marketo. It was so great. But um, it was like in a in a loving way, like went back into his office. I was like, people think we hate each other, but like, this is just how we engage. And like, we're both passionate. And so that was a funny one that I, uh, we still laugh at each other, but like we respect the heck out of each other. And I go to him for guidance and advice, frankly, every month almost. And I think a strong relationship between a CMO and a CFO is the hallmark of any great company. And that's where I also would say, if you're new to demand gen, you probably aren't spending a ton of time with the CFO, but build that relationship with your finance partner out of the gate. And I even hired our former finance partner into marketing. And I love I love hiring finance people into marketing. It's just, it brings such a great level of discipline and rigor around um, how you develop models, how you achieve and focus on achieving targets, et cetera. Okay, let's get to our quick hits. These are quick questions and quick answers. Just like conversational marketing with qualified.com, qualified prospects are on your website right now and you can talk to them quickly with qualified.com. We love them. Qualified's the best. Check them out, qualified.com. Quick hits, Sarah, are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. Is there some skill or hobby or habit or something that you've picked up during quarantine? This is lame. No, just getting, actually shutting down at night and taking a walk. And so for me, it's so sad, but just getting outdoors and and actually even during the day, whenever it's nice, like spending my meetings outside is really, really healthy. And, you know, taking the time to take a walk with my husband and my dogs and just, you know, like decompressing in a way and being intentional about it and also carving out time for it. Now that it gets dark a lot earlier, that's harder. But I think that's like my lame way to just feel at least alive and out in the world, even during quarantine, where I spend, you know, 98% of my time uh, at this desk. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there on the uh, on the walks. We need to we need a marketing campaign for to get our hour back because uh, it is way too dark. It is. I uh, Listen, I'm there with you. I'm like, why do we even need daylight savings anymore? <laughs> it's like 448 in the sun setting. I'm like, what are we doing? I know. It's the worst. So where's what is it December December seventeenth is that the shortest day of the year I'm like I look forward to that every year so once you get past it you know you're going to gain minutes back every night but we're not there yet so. it's like the the hump day for the year it's like just we just got to get through it if you weren't in marketing what do you think you'd be doing I think about this one a lot sorry um, <laughs> um honestly. I'd be a ski instructor in the winter and a white water uh, rafting instructor in the summer when that's a thing. That, not that I'm good enough to do either, but the, those like if I didn't, you know, oh heck yeah, have a real job, that's what I'd probably do. So, are you like jonesing for GM of the Mavs here sometime soon, or or is that like phase phase three, or what's the plan there? Fa- fa- yeah, like that. Um, for me, it's actually funny. I on Twitter the other day, we were um, going back and forth with uh, Chuck Cooperstein, who I've known from way back when when my time in Dallas with the Mavs. But I actually wrote a letter to the director of player personnel uh, when I was like ten or eleven asking how he got to his job at the Mavs and like 
what I could do to get there. And he wrote me back. I mean, back in the day when you actually had to write a letter back <laughs> and it was so nice. And I just imagine like how, how humble of him to even take the time to do that, knowing how crazy busy his role in life was then. But yeah, I actually, you know, maybe one day after I retire, I would love to go be like the CMO of Baylor, but that's like a whole nother thing just because I I'm all about college sports even more so than I am pro sports. Like just that's where all that fire and passion gets built for so many people in their life. So anyway, that's one for me. We're just about up on our time here. Um, but before we get out of here, any, any final thoughts, anything to, uh, to plug, obviously everybody should check out cloud.google.com, learn all of the amazing things you have going on. I guess the one final thing I will say is, you know, as I mentioned, we, we, uh, were like cloud native and all that stuff. I think that there's something about speed. We talked about it before the episode where we were chatting and like, Man, especially in today's day and age, it's got to be fun marketing speed because, you know, ease of use and velocity is just, it's the currency, maybe it's always been the currency, but uh, it's just so important now, especially going into 2021, where it seems like people who are faster and more organized are going to win. Absolutely. And I think to that point, it's part of what makes me so excited about my job at Google now is, you know, a lot of times as marketers, we end up having to um, tell stories that work around the realities of the products we're selling. And I really walked into this role and have been so blown away about the fact that it's all there. Like it's, and it's so accessible and so easy to use from workspace to actually cloud platform as well. Like I use the console of cloud platform as a marketer just because it's easy and it's quite frankly fun because I love data and love digging in to just see how our, our own users end up like translating that value day in, day out. What do they see from us and how, do, how can we make that better? But I think making that more accessible to everyone is really an exciting place to be in the cloud landscape because it's it actually is going to continue to grow, I think, and we'll be investing to help it grow in terms of business owners and stakeholders, making that cloud technology more accessible to everyone because the value is there for everyone. And this year has shown us that better than anything else. But through workspace, obviously that comes to life. So I would say, if you haven't checked it out, go, you know, sign up for a free trial, play around with all of our products. It's fun, frankly, if nothing else, but also um, tools like even AppSheet. That's a fun tool to basically take and build an app in 30 seconds using Google Sheets as its backend. And it's a really interesting way to start to experiment with some of the products in the cloud technology that's out there. So it's all at your fingertips. Sarah, awesome having you on the show. Great stuff. And uh, we'll talk soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. ManGen Visionaries is brought to you by our friends at Qualified.com, a conversational marketing company that's on a mission to transform the way B2B companies sell. Go to Qualified.com to learn more.